0: You're listening to Doctrine, a series where we examine the fundamental elements of the Christian faith, which are necessary for every Christian to know and understand. It's being taught to you by Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County. If you have your Bibles ready, let's begin. So uh, as we've been just taking a look at the fundamentals of the faith, um, we've been looking everything from the Word of God how it came to be, the, the book that we have today, um, and uh, revelation, God's revelation, him revealing himself to us. Uh, we've looked at the inspiration, the inerrancy of the word. We've looked at the canonization, the compilation of what was recognized as inspired and authoritative. Uh, we've looked at creation, Uh, how God created the world, and when he was done creating, he saw that it was good. Uh, Just before that, actually, I skipped, we looked at the Trinity, uh, the the three persons of the Godhead, then we looked at creation, then we looked at how God created man in his image uh, to reflect his glory, to reflect his attributes, and uh, last week we studied the fall, how man fell from uh, relationship with the, the Father. And uh, tonight we're going to look at our salvation, or uh, what's known as the doctrine of soteriology. The doctrine of soteriology. So salvation is uh, the deliverance from danger or from suffering. Most of us probably get that. It means to deliver or to protect from harm. Uh, It gives the idea of victory. It gives the idea of health and preservation, Sometimes they use it. Uh, the Bible uses the word saved to refer to our salvation. You guys have all heard that. Got some evangelists in the room. Um, and uh, but that word saved can also mean in the Bible a physical temporary salvation, uh, just like when uh, Paul was delivered or saved from the prison in Philippi. There's that temporary salvation and there's also an eternal salvation from God's Wrath. And so uh, more often in scriptures, the word salvation speaks of that permanent, eternal, spiritual deliverance. Um, like when the Paul, uh, the Paul, <laughs> uh, when Paul told the Philippian jailer what he must do to be saved, he said, uh, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, Acts chapter 16, and you will be saved, you and your household. Uh, he wasn't talking about just that temporary. Salvation, but an eternal salvation that if you would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, he would be saved, him and his household. Um, Jesus equates uh, being saved with entering the kingdom of God when he says, you know, it's easier for uh, a, 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 a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for uh, a rich man to be saved. And then the disciple says, well, who then can be saved? Speaking of that eternal uh, salvation. And uh, a definition of the Christian doctrine of salvation would be the deliverance by the grace of God from eternal punishment for sin, which is granted to those who accept by faith God's conditions of repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus. We know that salvation is available in Jesus alone and it's dependent on God alone for provision, for assurance, and for security. So some of the questions that we ask when we look at salvation is, what are we saved from? What are we saved from? Well, we're saved from God's wrath. Uh, we're saved from uh, God's judgment of sin. Last week, we looked at God judging sin, and because he's a righteous judge man was separated from him because he is holy he is pure and in his presence there can be no wickedness and so uh and so it's not because he's trying to be mean that the unrighteous won't be able to enter heaven uh, it's just because that's who he is he's just he's holy he's righteous but he's made a way for sinful man to become holy and righteous as well so they can enter into heaven And so, Romans 5 9 says that we've been saved from wrath through him. And wrath speaks up uh, of a building up of pressure against something. And then that building up of pressure just lets go. And one day, God, you know, right now, God is long suffering. His wrath is building up against sinful man. Uh, and, and one day it's just going to let go as we read in Revelation, God judging a Christ-rejecting world, and then in Revelation chapter 20, an eternal judgment for their sin. Um, but 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 has some promise that God has not appointed us to wrath, but to what? Obtain salvation through Jesus Christ. Our Lord. So, biblical salvation refers to deliverance from the consequence of sin. And remember, last week the main consequence of sin was death. If you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. And so, we see Adam eventually dying. We see an animal dying for to cover Adam's sin. And we see uh, eventually Revelation chapter twenty a spiritual death, a second death. And so. Biblical salvation is deliverance from the consequences of that sin. Whoop, oh, always love that. Spillage of the water. So I love that God created evaporation. So that is such a good thing. So we're saved from God's wrath. We're saved from eternal death. We're saved from judgment against sin. Who does the saving? Who does the saving? Um only God can remove sin and deliver from sin's penalty. Titus chapter 3 verse 5. We're going to be going through tons of verses uh tonight. So, uh if you can't go there, maybe just make a reference in your notes to it and just maybe if it's hard for you to concentrate, just close your eyes. Not you, Suzanne, cuz you're sleepy. Don't close your eyes. But Close your eyes and maybe just listen because these, you know, there's so many verses on salvation. It's like, where do you start? But every time you read one, you know, they're just like honey on your lips, you know? Uh, so Titus 3, 5 is a major verse says that we're not saved by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So how are we saved? Who does the saving? You know, not us, not by works that we've done, but by he who washes us, he who regenerates us, he who renews us by the Holy Spirit. How does God save? Um, uh, God rescues us. He rescues us through Christ. John chapter three, verse 17 for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so specifically, it was Jesus's death on the cross and his resurrection that achieved our salvation. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that uh, through the world, uh, through him, the world through him might be saved. Um, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, and, the, and uh, according to the riches of his grace. So scripture is so clear. There's one thing that, man, we can know for sure that salvation is the gracious, undeserved gift of God. Let's turn all together to Ephesians chapter 2 verse uh, 5, and then we'll look at verses 8 and 9. Probably one of the favorite clear-cut passages in scripture that salvation is a gift that is undeserved by us. And you probably have some of it memorized. Ephesians 2, 5, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. So where were we in the equation? Dead, dead in trespasses. What did he do? Made us alive. By grace you've been saved, in parentheses there. And then jump over to verse 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So, we're saved by grace, the Greek word charis. We're saved by an undeserved, unearned favor that came to us uh, by the Father. Uh, because he loves us, okay? And, and because he loves us, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That is a gift, the best gift uh, that he sent his son, that we could be saved. Uh, if it were a work of ourselves, it says it's not of works, lest anyone should boast. And we know from Romans uh, that no man is going to stand before the Lord and be able to boast, but it says every man's mouth is going to be stopped before him and they're going to be found a liar because no one is good that they can boast in their works. But if anyone's going to be going to heaven, they're going to stand before the Lord and just say, oh, not by works that Rory has done, not by works that I've done, but because of what your son did on the cross. He redeemed me from my sin. That is you know, all my confidence. What, how does the song go? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You know, uh, that is all I'll be able to say before the throne. And I hope that that's your case too. Acts 4, Acts chapter 4, verse 12, a powerful verse about, uh, how God saves, you know, that it's through faith in Jesus. And, and hopefully you'll memorize this by the time we get through Acts chapter four, but Peter just says, nor is there salvation found in any other. Powerful verse when talking to any other religion or any other faith. There is, salvation is not found in any other for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So salvation comes through faith in that man, Jesus. There's not salvation found in any other person, any other God. And so how do we receive salvation? Well, we receive salvation. It is by grace through faith. Okay. We receive salvation through faith. Faith is the means by which we are saved. Um, and so first of all, we must hear the gospel. Faith comes by hearing Romans chapter 10 and hearing by the word of God. Okay. So we hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, and you don't have to flip the Ephesians one 13 says in him, you trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy spirit of promise. So after we heard the good news, uh, we were able to have that faith. So uh, first we hear the gospel, then we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 1.16, uh, that uh, that uh, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. So where's the power of God unto salvation? It, it's, well, it's in the gospel, that's what that is, but it's to everyone who believes, to the Jew and also to the Greek, that's Romans 1.16. Popular memory, memory verse. And so believing involves repentance and changing your mind about Christ. We studied this in Acts chapter two, when Peter was teaching to the Jews, that they crucified Jesus, they crucified God. Uh, Jesus is both Lord and Christ. And remember, what did the men say? They, they were cut to the heart and they said, what must we do? What do we do? And what did Peter say? Repent. Repent. You know, repent and be baptized. Uh, And so that is what uh, believing in, in repentance go hand in hand. There's a conversion that happens there. And Acts 3.19, Peter says, repent and be converted. Repent and be converted that your sins will be blotted out. I love that, that our sins, everything we've ever done can be blotted out. I just love thinking of like a dry erase board, you know, and just uh, get that off of there and just a totally white, clean slate. Uh, but, you know, Peter says, Acts 3.19, Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Man, that's just a work of salvation upon a sinner that they would change their mind. Repenting means to change your mind about Jesus and declare him to be, you know, uh, God. And then also repenting is changing your mind about your sins and recognizing that, you know, your sins separate you from God, that your sins are harmful, that your sins are an offense to the holiness of God. And if you'll repent and change your mind about those times of refreshing come. Do you remember that time in your life when life wasn't refreshing because of your sin? And then when you repented and you received Jesus Christ, uh, your sins were washed away, and times of refreshing came. And so, uh, also, repentance and calling on the name of the Lord, Romans chapter 9, uh, or chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, uh, is, a, is a, you know, probably one that you guys own. I'll just flip over there real quick. 10, 9, and 10, and, and we'll reference this a lot tonight, so if you get it this time, you'll you'll own it. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made to salvation. So a calling on the name of the Lord, declaring Jesus to be God, a confession of Jesus and who He is and that He rose from the dead, uh, you'll be saved. And so uh, notice, these aren't works. But these, this is just faith. we're not saved by works, but we 're saved by grace through faith. Uh, there's a lot of false theories of the atonement. you've probably heard of some of these. I'll give you uh, some of them. We have the now an atonement we're speaking of the wiping away of our sin, okay or the covering. Of our sin. It's an Old Testament word that speaks of covering over the sin. And there's false theories of how salvation works and how atonement works. There's a lot of them. Uh, there's the ransom to Satan theory from you know, 185 AD, and it was developed by Origen. And Origen held the view that Satan held people captive as prisoners of war. And because of this, the ransom had to be paid to Satan not to God. And so the problem is, is that it was God's holiness that was offended by sin, not Satan's holiness. Uh, And so payment was made to God to avert his wrath. Satan didn't have the power to free men, still doesn't. uh, And Satan was judged at the cross He wasn't made a benefactor at the cross, but he was judged at the cross. So the ransom to Satan theory has some flaws to it. Then there's the recapitulation theory by Irenaeus uh, about 130 AD that Jesus went through all the experiences of Adam, including sin, so that he was able to succeed where Adam failed. We know that that is an error because although Jesus is known as the last Adam, we studied that last week, or the second Adam, he had no personal encounter with sin in that he sinned. He was tempted, but he didn't sin. He was considered sinless. Uh, Hebrews uh, talks about that a lot, that he was uh, tempted in all points as we were, but yet without sin. And uh, that view, the recapitulation view, neglects the atonement by saying that Jesus' life saves and not his death. So uh, we've got the commercial theory that through sin, God was robbed of honor due to him. And the only resolution of that problem was to punish sinners or be satisfied. Okay, now some of this sounds like it's, it's almost all right, but... um through Jesus's death, honor was brought to God and Jesus received a reward, which he shares with sinners, forgiveness of sins and eternal life to those who live by the gospel. Now, here's the problem with this is that God's mercy was emphasized, but other attributes such as justice and holiness are uh, kind of kicked out of the way for this theory. Um, and then also another problem is that substitutionary sufferings of Christ are ignored and the concept of penance is embraced. So I'm just going to give you some of the names of some other theories. And we've got the moral influence theory, an accident theory that Jesus's death on the cross was just an accident. That's kind of a more modern theory. And um, that Jesus, his death was a mistake. He got so caught up in being Messiah that, you know, he just got, Uh, cut off in the process of that. And so just a messed up view of atonement. We've got the example or the martyr theory, which the Unitarians hold today, Um, you know, but it's back from the 16th century. And they, they state that Jesus's death wasn't necessary for the atonement of sin, but that it was an example uh, to inspire all people to live good old lives, you know? And so uh, there's, there's a lot of problems with that. And then there's the government theory. So uh, lots of different theories that are inadequate, but we want to look at the adequate, correct meaning of atonement. Um, to quote Moody's Handbook of Theology, the foundational meaning of the death of Christ is its substitutionary character, and that's what a lot of these other methods or uh, views of atonement are flawed: is that they don't look at the death of Christ as substitutionary, uh, which is key. For uh, born-again Christians, which is key for us having our sins taken away. Uh, it goes on to say, he died in place of sinners that he might purchase their freedom, reconcile them to God, and thereby satisfy the righteous demands of a holy God. So he substitutes us. He took our place. He purchased our freedom on the cross. He reconciles us to God, and he satisfies the righteous demands of a holy God. I'm going to give you about, um, probably by tonight, by the time we're done, we'll have six terms that explain the meaning of atonement all throughout the scripture. They're kind of interchanged words or, or words that different translations translate them differently. But um, but keep in mind, uh, substitution is, is key, okay? Uh, so number one, a term that explains atonement is... The, the important one, substitution, okay? Or a very important one, substitution. He died in place of sinners. In the Latin, it's the word vicarious, which means one in place of another. And we love our substitute teachers, don't we? The one that came, and man, do you remember those days when you got a substitute teacher? Sometimes it was party day, you know? Sometimes it wasn't, you know? Um but man, Jesus is our substitute. It came in in our place. Um, He bore the punishment that was due to us. He bore the punishment that was due to sinners, our guilt. Remember last week, we looked at imputation or, or to have something put into your account. And in our account was all these sins and all these unrighteous marks against us. And Jesus's was holiness, sinlessness, purity, never you know, angry, always full of love, full of compassion, full of, you know. And, and what Jesus did was he basically switched that, you know, uh, and we had his righteousness and perfection imputed into our account, uh, whereas he got our unholiness and our flaws imputed to his account. Second Corinthians 521, you guys ought to know it by now. Uh, For he made him, you guys are like, I don't read lips. Okay. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God through him or in him. And that's, that's substitution right there, guys. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we could become the righteousness of God in him. First Peter chapter 224, he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, That we having died to sin might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. He bore our sins on the tree that we who were full of sin might be healed. That's substitution. Um, Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many, Hebrews 9, 28. And then you can just write down Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. You know, he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. Substitution. Um, As we look at that, there's some uh, prepositions, okay, that always um, are in in there with our salvation, okay, and uh, there's the word anti, which means instead of, and so for instance, if you look at Matthew 20, 28, just as the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom, ransom for is the preposition many, okay? That word for uh, means in place of. So he gave his life a ransom in place of many. That's substitution, okay? Uh, Then we have another one that that word for also is, it's the word hooper, and it means on behalf of or in behalf of sinners. Let me give you an example. Uh, He gave himself a ransom for or in behalf of all to be testified in due time. That's first Timothy 2.6. There's a whole bunch of those, but it's always talking about, you know, in place of or um, instead of sinners. He was the ransom instead of us. He made him who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Um, or he suffered once for sin, the just for the unjust. Okay, that's all speaking of substitution there. Uh, just to, to quote uh, Moody's Handbook of Theology again, through Jesus' death, the righteous requirements of the law have been met. It was a legal transaction in which Christ dealt with the sin problem for the human race. Isn't that awesome? A legal transaction which, for which Christ dealt with the sin problem For the whole human race, he became the substitute for humanity's sin. That's that's an awesome thing, man. May the impact just awe us. May we be astounded at that. So, substitution, it's a key factor of our salvation. Then we have redemption, okay? Redemption. It's the Greek word agarazo, agarazo, and it means to purchase. From the marketplace. And it was often used, uh, speaking of a slave's marketplace, to, or to describe the sale of slaves, uh, which is very fitting because we sinners have been sold. We've been bought uh, in a slave market. We were slaves to sin. We were owned by sin. We were in control of sin in the bondage of sin. But uh Agarazzo speaks of the purchase price that bought us from that slave market. Isn't that incredible that that word picture can be used there to describe us? It's our, it speaks of the release from bondage of sin. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For you were bought at a price. From that slave market, you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So now we're Christ's slaves. We're slaves to righteousness, to do his will. Our members no longer are slaves of unrighteousness, but now we're slaves of righteousness because we've been purchased, we've been redeemed. You've been bought at a price, now don't be the slaves of men, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians. Uh, you know, constant verses talking about being redeemed from the earth, being redeemed from among men, The purchase from a slave market are those the words speak of. Then we have another word for redemption that's used in scripture, and it's ex agarazo. It's the same word, but with that X put in front of it, okay? And that means to be removed from the market altogether. So not only have we been purchased from the slave market, but we've been removed from the slave market altogether. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. He's removed us from that slave market that the curse of the law, you know, hung over us or had chained to our ankle, having become a curse for us, for us. There's that word for, and it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. A third word uh, for redemption is lutru. L-U-T-R-O-O, and I I love this one. You know, I love the pictures of the, um, the slave markets and being taken out of the slave markets, but I love Lutru because it means to pay the ransom price, to pay the ransom price. And the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Pay that ransom price. First Peter chapter one, verse 18 tells us what that ransom price was. For we have not been redeemed or have that ransom price paid by the blood of, or or, excuse me, with corruptible things like gold or silver or precious stones. Um, Then it goes on to say, but verse 19, with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without spot and blameless. So what was the ransom price? the blood of jesus titus chapter 2 verse uh, 14 he gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works so what were we bought for we were bought for these good works that we could glorify god in them so redemption you might write in your notes is sin word okay it's a sin word action. Mankind was in bondage to sin and it, and it needed a release from the bondage of sin. And so that redemption is sin word. Then we have, so we've got substitution. Substitution, the just took the place of the unjust. Then we have redemption. We've been bought. We've been purchased from the slave market, out of the slave market. The ransom price has been paid. So substitution, redemption, thirdly, reconciliation, reconciliation, which speaks of fellowship restored. Re- fellowship restored. It's the Greek word katalasso, which means to effect a change. To effect a change. Okay, so sin had built up a wall. Between God and us, we were at war with God. We were at enmity with God. Uh, you know, we were, um, just in rebellion against God. Uh, Isaiah tells us in chapter 59, verse 2, your iniquities have separated you from God. There was a separation. There was a disconnect of the fellowship that we had in the Garden of Eden. We used to walk with God in the cool of the day and, and pray and talk to Him. And then our sins severed that fellowship. But because of what Jesus did, that wall was torn down, the middle wall of separation torn down and fellowship restored to God. Do we realize what an incredible thing that is? I mean, it's in him that, that we even exist. I, I don't want to be apart from him. <laughs> you know, I don't want to have um, no hope. I don't want to be subject to uh, that wrath. Um, you know, and it went on to say in Isaiah 59, your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. That's the wall that was built up. Our sin hid his face from us that he would not hear. Colossians 121, we were alienated. We were alienated and enemies in our mind by wicked works. And yet now he's reconciled us in the body of his flesh. It says there in Colossians chapter one, through death to uh, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. So how was that middle wall torn down? How was the fellowship restored? Through his body, through his death, uh, he presents us holy and blameless. We're reconciled to God. Um, James 4.4 4 tells us, you, know, you adulterers and adulter- adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is war against God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. But through Jesus, hostility was removed. And so Romans 5.10, flip over there with me, if you will. Reconciliation, Romans 5.10. For if when we were uh, enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled We shall be saved by his life. So you got the dark side. I always love the dark and then the light and the the precious gem of the gospel. The dark side, we are uh, enemies, enemies of God at war with God, alienated from God through his death. You know, we're given life. We'll be saved by his life. So God is the one who initiated change. He's the one who initiated reconciliation. Man is the object of, of that reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul has this beautiful passage on reconciliation and how we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. You know, we implore people, we plead with people on Christ's behalf. We're ambassadors of God. We plead with people to be reconciled to God. No longer do we see people as just mere men, but we see souls, he says there in 2 Corinthians chapter five. And we're just compelled to be witnesses. We're compelled to tell people about uh, this reconciliation. You know, we beseech, you know, be reconciled to God, 2 Corinthians chapter five, verses 18 through 19. So reconciliation is man word. Man was the one that had moved out of fellowship because of sin and man needed to be reconciled to renew that fellowship. And that, of course, came through Jesus. Uh, We have, uh, so substitution. uh, We've got, uh, now I'm already blanking. uh, Got my R words confused. Redemption, reconciliation, and now propitiation. Propitiation, a term that describes our salvation. Uh, It means that the death of Christ fully satisfies all the demands, the righteous demands of God toward the sinner. That's what propitiation is. The, the death of Christ fully satisfied uh, the righteous demands of God toward the sinner. Um, because God is righteous, He cannot overlook sin, but Jesus uh, is, uh, satisfies these righteous standards that we could have never met. Jesus met. Uh, it's the Greek word kafar, and the, in the Hebrew, I'm sorry, Hebrew word kafar, and in the Old Testament you read that of this ritual covering of sin. Okay, in Leviticus, we read about it. Or in the New King James Version, if you were to read that passage in Leviticus, it would use the word atonement. Okay, it would translate it atonement. And then in the Greek, it's the word uh, helaskomai, which means to propitiate. Propitiation, or um, you can look at, remember the, the tax collector praying in the temple and the Pharisee was there praying and he was saying, oh God, I thank you that I'm not like these people around here. And and then you have the tax collector bowing down, crying out to the Lord for mercy, and he says, "Lord God, uh, be merciful towards me." That word mercy could also be translated propitiate. Oh Lord, cover my sins, or be merciful toward me. Hebrews chapter two, verse seven. Certainly, don't discourage you from flipping over there. Hebrews two seventeen. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So Jesus became a man that he could be uh, um, um, like his brethren in all things, a merciful, faithful high priest making propitiation or mercy for the sins of the people. You guys know Romans 3.23, all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. And then it goes on to say, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as the propitiation by his blood. So that blood covers our sin. You know, uh, it goes so much further even to take away our sin. And so propitiation has about three you know, main points. The wrath of God. Toward sin is satisfied. You know that song that we sing, uh, the wrath of God was satisfied. You know, I was singing that this afternoon as I was studying because that's what propitiation is. It satisfies the wrath of God. Um, and then we have uh, propitiation also provides the remedy, provides the remedy through Jesus' blood to t- uh, satisfy for those sins, okay? And also the holiness of God is satisfied in propitiation. And propitiation is God word. It's God word. God is propitiated. His holiness is freed from any question of guilt. And it's satisfied by the death of Christ. Now, when we come into heaven and we have our ambassador, when we have our ambassador, we have our mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ, he's going to be able to say, my blood covers this man or this woman's sin and and God's holiness is satisfied in that because we've been covered by the blood of Jesus. Another word that a term used to describe the atonement from our sin is the word forgiveness. The word forgiveness. Um, Forgiveness, an explanation of it, it's a legal act of God where the charges held against the sinner are removed because satisfaction and atonement have been made for sin. So again, legal act of God where the charges held against the sinner are removed. I've never been charged of a crime. I crossed the lane of traffic once and hit somebody in the snow and got a ticket and the judge gave me less of a fine. Maybe some of you've been charged of a crime and stood before a judge, but what sweet relief uh, when you were forgiven when that if that happened, maybe it didn't happen. You can imagine if it had happened to just have that charge removed. Uh, just relief, able to breathe again. That's what forgiveness does. It causes us to be able to breathe again. It's the word karizomai, and, and the root of that is charis or chara, grace. So forgiveness out of grace. It's a cancellation of the debt, not because of anything we've done, but because of of our unearned favor from the Lord. One verse for that, Colossians 2.13 says, And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you of all trespasses. He made us alive by forgiving us, by pouring out his grace, by canceling out that debt. And so forgiveness solves all the problems of sin in the believer's life, past, present, future. We've been forgiven of those sins, nailed to the cross with Jesus. Colossians goes on to say the next verse there, uh, the handwriting of requirement was nailed to the cross there. Another word for forgiveness that it's the most common form of forgiveness in the scriptures is aphemi, which means to let go or to send away. In him, Ephesians says, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, the sending away of the sin according to the riches of his grace. And then, uh, but forgiveness is manward. Man sinned and needed those sins removed, okay? Justification, Next word, uh, dealing with salvation. Justification. I love justification. It's when the gavel in heaven, also a legal term, the gavel in heaven is slammed down by the righteous judge and he declares the person on trial to be without sin, to be righteous. Beautiful day in a a non-believer's life when they become a believer and the gavel in heaven is slammed down in, in heaven. And the, the Lord says, I find you righteous in my sight. I forgot your lawless deeds. I remember them no more. As far as the East is from the West, you're justified. You're justified. First thing about justification, I'm going to give you six points of justification. Justification involves the pardon and the removal of all sins You can see how justification and forgiveness go hand in hand. The pardon and removal of all sins and the end of separation from God. See how reconciliation plugs into there. Acts chapter 13 verse 39 says, And by him, everyone who believes is justified. Everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Where the law of Moses failed and that it was weak in the flesh, Romans chapter eight tells us the beginning of the chapter, God wasn't weak and he sent his own son and he fulfilled that. And that fulfillment is imputed into anyone's account that would believe in him. So uh, second thing, tons of verses with that. I can give you my notes later. Justification involves the bestowal of righteousness upon the believing person. So not only is sin taken away, but the bestowal of righteousness is putting on that person uh, and the title to all blessings promised. You know, in Ephesians, we're told of the adoption that takes place. As we're adopted, man, there's so many blessings. Ephesians, really the theme is the blessings and the riches that we have in Christ. And so the bestowal of the blessings happens at justification Number three, justification is a gift of God's grace. Justification is a gift. Romans three twenty four, chapter or verse twenty three. All of sin and fallen short of the glory of God, and then it goes on to say, being justified freely by His grace. So justification it's a it's a free gift. It's an act of grace uh, towards us. Number four, justification takes place the moment a person has faith in Christ. Romans chapter four, you might flip there. Verse two, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. There was nothing that he did but having faith in the Lord, believing in the Lord. He was declared righteous. The gavel slammed down in heaven, declared righteous. The law didn't come for years later. Circumcision wasn't instituted until years later. But the moment he believed in the Lord, it was imputed or accounted, put in his account for righteousness. Number five, the grounds for justification is the death of Christ. Again, much more than Romans 5.9, having been justified by his blood will be saved from wrath through him. So uh, the grounds for justification is his blood. And then finally, with justification, the means of justification is faith. And let's look at Romans 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So justification also is manward. You know, we are justified. Man sinned. We broke God's standards. We were in need of receiving righteousness, uh, and we needed to enter into fellowship with God again. And so he freely, by his grace, justified us, okay? Uh, so... Uh, we have regeneration is uh, another aspect of our being saved, our salvation, regeneration. It speaks of being born again. Uh, you know, when Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, you know, he said, you know, what do I need to do, teacher, to uh, enter the kingdom of heaven or to be part of the kingdom? And Jesus said, you know, surely I say to you, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus, remember, he was baffled by that. You know, what am I supposed to do? Climb back up into my, the birth canal? Climb back up into the womb? What am I supposed to do? And Jesus said, you know, surely I say to you, that which is born of water is water. That which is born of spirit is spirit. There's two different births, you know? And it's been said that if you are born once, you'll die twice. Revelation chapter 20, we read of the second death. If you're only born once, you come out your mom's birth canal, you become whatever your name is, you know, and you grow up and that was your only birth. And then you die. You're going to die the physical death. And then Revelation chapter 20, we read of the second death, eternal judgment, where you'll be cast into the lake of fire. But if you're born twice, if you're regenerate, if you're made new, it's a work of the spirit of God where all things become new uh, everything about you, you're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are made new. Uh, you know that you have the first birth, come out your mom's birth canal. And at some point in your life, uh, the grace of God meets you. You know, you put your faith into Christ. His blood covers you. You're justified. You're, there's a propitiation over your sin. You're born again. It's a work that the Holy Spirit does in you. That's your second birth, born again. If you're born twice, you'll only die once. And maybe only that. Come Lord Jesus, come quickly, right? You know, I'm looking for my chariot of fire, actually, but, you know, uh, or the rapture, whatever. But, you know, one death perhaps in this earth, but then you'll live eternally with Jesus in heaven. So uh, regeneration, it's just part of the salvation package, um, you know, it comes with the sealing of the Holy Spirit, where when you're saved, the Holy Spirit, uh, seals you as a guarantee. Ephesians chapter one tells us of your salvation. Uh, it's part of, uh, it goes along with adoption. You know, you can see that you're born again. You're adopted by the Lord. Galatians chapter four, verse five, you're reconciled to God. All of these things, um, regeneration or rebirth comes with that. You're born again, and so uh, you're, you're made spiritually alive. You're made a new creation in Christ, okay? Now, again, that's nothing that we did. That's all a work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, uh, and then finally, sanctification. Sanctification. Uh, we're sanctified by the Spirit of God. And if you look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Verse nine, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Sounds bad, huh? but, I love this, verse 11, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our Lord. Sanctification means to be set apart From the world. There's two different types of sanctification in a believer's life. The day that you're saved, you're set apart from the world. You're a new creation. You're, you know, you're born again. You're set apart. But then there's the daily sanctification that happens in a person's life. Daily you're sanctified. Daily you're set apart to be more like Jesus. It's a, it's a, it's a process that does take patience. But remember that Jesus said, he prayed a lot about sanctification in John chapter 17 when he prayed, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. We talked about that on Sunday. One part of sanctification, of being set apart from the world and its system and its ideas, uh, its methods of things, is to spend time in his word. As we spend time in his word, we're set apart uh, from the world. And, uh, it's a and it's an exciting thing, and, you know, until the day we see Jesus face to face, we're not going to be sinless. But the process of sanctification, just you know, it puts off sin out of a believer's life more and more and more until finally, when we see Jesus face to face, you know, we're going to finally be sinless in in heaven. But uh, as far as right now, we're just that process of sanctification—a work, of, excuse me, a work of the Spirit. Be encouraged. You know, every single one of us is being sanctified at a different rate. And, uh, man, I just encourage you to spend more time with Jesus, spend more time in his word, uh, and that sanctifying will just continue a, a, a good steady pace. And that's an encouraging thing, to be sanctified, to not, you know, I just love that, First Corinthians chapter 6, you know, all these people are not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Don't be deceived, but you You've been washed by the Lord. You've been washed by his blood. You've been sanctified and justified. It's a work of the spirit of our God. And so we're actually going to end there tonight. Uh, Sanctification. And actually, we do have more time than I thought we did. So that's good. I don't know how I busted through 11 pages of notes like that. But Gloria Dei, or however you say that. (laughs) Um, But one thing, um, which I don't think we're going to get to do a whole study on it, in this series i don 't think we'll do that it's just really cool to look at god 's plan of salvation uh, throughout the scriptures from day one of sin kind of opened up uh, Sunday morning with that and as you look at you know Genesis chapter three, um, you know Adam you know, had sinned, Adam and Eve had sinned the wage of that was death, but already the the salvation plan was um, initiated or activated as the Lord made a covenant with Adam that, you know, through Eve's seed, actually, um, a man will come, that seed will come and crush Satan's head. And Satan's head will bruise Jesus' heel, that seed's heel. And so that's what happened at the cross. Satan was crushed. Jesus was bruised. Um, and, And every single... Um, every single covenant that we see in the, old, in the scriptures has a mediator or a head of that covenant. Adam was the, one of, was the head of that um, Adamic covenant. Uh, we see that there was um, the, the call to obedience, but there's the promise of Jesus as well. And Every covenant has that. It has a mediator. It has the blessing. Uh, it has the signs of the covenant. Uh, and then it has a promise of Jesus. If you look at the covenant of Noah, you know, Noah was not a good man in and of himself. Genesis chapter six, you start reading about it. the whole world was wicked and sinful and God was sad that he'd made man on the earth. That's how bad they were. But it says that Noah found favor in God's sight or grace in God's sight. It wasn't anything Noah did, but he obtained favor in God's sight. You know, and so uh, Noah was the mediator of the uh, Noah, Noahic. Oh no, no. Well, you know, Noah covenant. <laughs> uh, he was the mediator of that. There was a, a promise, uh, you know, or the blessing. You'll know, obey, build the ark. You'll be saved. You and your house will be saved from the flood. Uh, and then there's a, even a promise, a picture of Jesus in the ark. There, you know, that that anyone who would believe. And Jesus would be saved from the wrath to come, just like anyone who believed Noah's preaching would be saved from the flood that would come upon the whole earth. Um, You know, as you just look, just quickly, you know, you look at Moses, the covenant of Moses, Mosaic covenant, the law. Uh, Noah is the head or the mediator of that covenant. The, uh, The blessing was... You know, God will deliver you from Egypt and give you a land and protect you and provide for you. Uh, You know, the sign of Passover accompanied that uh, covenant there with the Lord. And keep in mind, Moses, he didn't do anything to deserve uh, the blessing. Uh, You know, he just found favor in the the eyes of the Lord, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And then Jesus is promised to, to them through the Passover lamb. That picture of Jesus coming and shedding his blood that if anyone would believe on Jesus, God's wrath would literally pass over them. And don't forget, yeah, Abraham, the covenant with Abraham that, you know, here Abraham, he's from Ur of the Chaldeans, a pagan land, didn't do anything of himself to obtain favor from the Lord just believed in the Lord. It was accounted to him as righteousness that as a hundred year old and his wife being 90, they would conceive and bear children. And through that seed, all the nations of the world would be blessed. You know, it's just, Abraham believed the Lord. And uh, through that seed, all the nations, through Jesus, all the nations of the world would be blessed. You know, the Davidic covenant in, uh, I believe it's 2 Samuel chapter seven, I think it is. Uh, you know, the Lord tells David that he will have a seed as well. And the promises of a kingdom that will never fail, will never pass away. And there will be one that sits on the throne whose scepter will never pass away. It's just a picture of Jesus. And then finally, the, the best covenant uh, is Jesus. And we read about it when he's giving the Last Supper. He's, he's instituting communion. And he says, this cup is the, you know, it's the blood of the new covenant. It's the, it's a picture of the new covenant. This bread is a picture of the new covenant that if you believe, if you partake, if you're part of this covenant, you know, my blood being shed for you, my body being broken for you, you'll be forgiven. You know, it's just an awesome thing. But Jeremiah, we'll just flip to Jeremiah 3131. 31. <clears throat> New Bible, the pages are kind of hard to flip here. Especially when you don't know where Jeremiah is, that really hurts. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming. So, you know, we looked at the, the old covenants, Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and then we already know the future covenant, the new covenant with Jesus And it says here in verse 31, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, "Know the Lord," for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. So, you know, all the other covenants, you know, man failed, man broke, uh, but the the new covenant through Jesus, it's not going to be written on tablets of stone, but it's written on our hearts. You know, it's written on our hearts. We have this, uh, the spirit of God inside of us, helping us to live that sanctification process that takes place. And uh, we're going to close there. We'll go ahead and pray. Stuart wasn't feeling so hot, so he took off and went home. So if Frank wants to come lead us in a song, then we'll, nope, okay. (laughs) Uh, I don't know that one. You're out of order. <laughs> just kidding, buddy. Lord, as we look at salvation, Lord, so deep. I just, Lord, I felt like I was just, uh, just being washed with a flood. Just all day, so much to glean and so much to look at in salvation. And while it's so deep, it's also so simple. Lord, just as you say, just to the Galatians, just you know, don't let any anyone trick you away from the simplicity that's in Christ. So Lord, while, while the gospel is so simple, it is so deep as well. Lord, we thank you for redeeming us, Lord, for paying the ransom price to get us out of the slave market. Lord, we thank you for being the sacrifice or the substitute Lord, for taking our place on the cross, a place that was meant for us, Lord. Lord, thank you for the propitiation, and the forgiveness, and the redemption. Thank you for the justification, Lord. Lord, we just pray that by your spirit, you would just do a work in this church, Lord, of opening men and women's eyes to see the truth of salvation. Even what you've saved us from. Lord you've saved us for good works that we might glorify you Lord just do that work of your spirit justifying Lord for those that are justified Lord that you would sanctify Lord sanctify set us apart God Lord day by day Lord may we spend time in your truth your word is truth Lord we thank you that When we were dead in our sins, wounded and broken by our transgressions. You made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God through him. We're not worthy of salvation. We haven't done one thing that merits eternal life or forgiveness of our sins. But Lord, you're the God that seeks relationship with us. Thank you for that love that you pour out on us, that you seek relationship with us, that even after Adam's sin, Lord, you sought relationship. Even after Abraham was from Ur of the Chaldeans, Lord, you sought relationship. You sought relationship with Moses and David, an adulterer, Lord. And Lord, thank you. Your plans are so perfect that the new covenant in Jesus is so much better than the old one written on tablets of stone and that you wrote them on our hearts. Just like Romans 8 says, where the old covenant was weak and that it was weak in the flesh. Lord, you came and were obedient and perfect and sinless that whoever believes on you won't perish but have everlasting life. Just thank you so much, Lord, for the truth of salvation. Lord, let us be bearers of that banner of salvation. Just like Paul was so just excited and zealous for ambassadors, Lord. Lord, that we might be ambassadors pleading with the world to be reconciled with God. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information about Calvary Chapel or to contribute to this ministry, you can go to our website, www.calvarycrookcounty.com or you can write to us at PO Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, nine seven seven five four. Thanks again for listening and God bless.